Good morning. Good morning. This is the day the Lord has made. We rejoice and we are glad in it. My name is Paul. I am privileged to serve as pastor of Victory Church of Charlottesville, where we exist to see people reconciled to God and to each other. And praise the Lord, we are streaming on the right page today. Uh, a lot of us became Facebook friends last week when um, I realized <laughs> as y'all were texting me that I was on my own personal page and thought, well, it's kind of late now, so let's just add some friends and bring them on into my world. But uh, we are on the right page today. So thank you for your uh, sticking with us last week, for your forgiveness. Um, if you weren't able to find me on on my personal page, and uh, I hope, too, that you were able to go back and listen to Kate Martin's uh, message. It, it, it was phenomenal. Um, was that not a great word for those who were able to hear it? You can just drop in the chat an amen or any thoughts or comments you have related to it, but shed shedding light. I listened to it about two and a half times. Uh, I don't know. I think my kids or the dog didn't let me get through it that third time, but but it was so rich, so good, as have been all of the message messages that we've been able to hear from the voices from this house at Victory that we are blessed to have right here. So Kate, thank you again for your preparation, your diligence in the word and preparing a meal for us last week that we're still chewing on. Thank you. Um, I, I'm here uh, not to preach this morning. Troy Savage is going to do that well enough uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. But I am here to just thank a few folks before uh, Troy comes on. Kate Martin, I've already thanked. Uh, and uh, there are, of course, endless an endless list of people to to acknowledge. And so I try to, as often as I can, say a few names from time to time. But this past week, those in the Charlottesville community um, uh, and at Victory Church participated in what we called Well Week. Um, it was spearheaded by our outreach team. We recently named a director of outreach a few months ago, Rashida uh, Tripp, and she coordinated and led an incredible effort with the outreach team in serving our community. You can go to our social media uh, to find out more of what that looked like. But in short, um, they allow God to use them, their hands, their feet to be a blessing to our community, which is, is at the heart of who we uh, are to be in the community. So thank you to, to those who served in that effort, Rashida, for your leadership. Um, I, I always love to give thanks to the Lord for Andrea Smith and the, the Victory Kids team who continue quietly, but quite quite strongly discipling our children, the ingenuity and creativity and diligence and consistency and all of what could be missed, <laughs> except if you are receiving and you know what's happening, you know the amount of time and effort and energy and prayer and study that's going into that. Thank you for continuing to serve in that way. Um, Nathan Swanson, Zandy Johnson, whose names they probably don't want me to call. Um, they also quietly just kind of go about doing what they do. Sydney and Ben Corber, um, uh, Chantel Savage, you, all of you with some transition on our communications team, Ashley Farr to be named, um, you all have stepped in. The videos are being uploaded. They're going to YouTube. They're on our mobile app. They, they, they are, they're, they're uh, edited in ways I never could do it. And you just do it so that I can go back and listen to Kate's message last week. Thank you. That's not automatic. That takes time and effort and hands on that you have been willing and consistent in doing, particularly even as we move through a number of transitions, the pandemic, uh, some departures due to moving away um, and, and so forth and so on. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Tiffany Nguyen, the victory groups who have, again, quietly served and allowed community to stay, to, to continue to not just stay and be maintained, but to grow 
um, in, in this pandemic season. Thank you, Tiffany, for your leadership and for all of the group leaders who have served so faithfully. I know we're coming up on the end of a, another semester, and I pray you are refreshed during your break season. And certainly we don't break from fellowship, but we give some formal breaks to the groups um, and particularly the leaders to have a minute to rest and do, do whatever they want and need to do during that time. Um, all of the directors and coordinators for continuing to create and facilitate community within their teams. That's what makes us who we are as a church, small groups, the victory groups, and then also the ministry teams. And it's in those spaces that relationships can be deep, not just a wild mile wide and an inch deep, but actually go down and have some depth. Um, and lastly, the transition team. Uh, lots has been going on. The lift on part is hard to quantify. Yes, in time that we, but also in mental sort of uh, real estate that this process takes up because it's an incredible process that involves a lot of prayer, a lot of planning. And so this week, maybe early next week, you're gonna hear some more details about how we are going to be led well in the interim as I transition. Uh, and then within the next two weeks, you're gonna hear some more detail on how we are planning to create opportunities for safe gatherings, in-person uh, gatherings, uh, that's a long time coming, right? And, and thank God for medicine and the vaccines that are about. So for those who are uh, 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 willing to safely gather and we're still working out the details of what that'll look like, but we know in June we'll have at least one and hopefully more than that for us to gather safely in person while continuing to provide this online medium for those who cannot um, do that or choose not to do that for whatever reason we want to be respectful of, of where everyone is in this space. So that's all that I'm here to say. And I'm gonna I'm not gonna go through the formal trend, uh, formal introduction of Troy Savage because I did that the last time. He's Victory Church family. He's brought the word before. He leads our incredible prayer team. They're praying every day at 6.30 a.m. And then again, Monday nights at 8 p.m. He's got an amazing bride in Chantel Savage who leads our worship team, a wonderful daughter, uh, and just an amazing pillar of the Charlottesville community. So that's my time. I pray that you'd give Troy your time because I know the Lord's going to bless you through what uh, he has to say and what God has given him to say. Love you, fam. Amen. Good morning, Victory Church, and thank you, Pastor Paul. As Pastor Paul likes to say, this is the day that the Lord has made. Uh, we will rejoice and be glad. Uh, today, uh, our scripture reading will be from the book of Mark. Uh, and we'll read Mark chapter 2, verses 1 uh, through 12. Uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once, Jesus perceived in his spirit 
that they were discussing these questions among themselves. And he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And if we can focus just for a moment uh, on Mark chapter 2, verse 5, uh, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. The writer of the Gospel of Luke, uh, a physician, says it this way in Luke 5.20. When he, Jesus, saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. This morning, Victory family, uh, I feel called to share this message with you. Uh, I have preached this message, at least substantially preached it before, um, but God has shown me that uh, in a very real sense, it was meant for you, for victory today. And if I had to quickly title this sermon, I would title it, Their Faith. Let us pray. God, in this moment, I pray that you would speak through your gospel. I'll speak to each of us uniquely and differently as you have called and as you've created each of us uniquely and differently. And yet, Lord God, I pray in this moment, in this well week, in May, in this time of various transitions, I pray that in all of it, in this particularly, you will find us where we are and that your gospel would pierce our hearts and change our collective circumstance. In your name, amen. And praise God. Well, let's start by setting the scene for what we just read in Mark. Uh, according to Mark, uh, Jesus's fame first spread when he cast out an unclean spirit in the synagogue in Capernaum. Then, after sunset, Mark reports that we, that many rather, were brought to him, uh, and he healed and cast away many demons. Then the next morning, Jesus awoke early and went to pray. And when he found out that many were looking for him, Jesus went to other towns and preached in other synagogues, performing miracles. Uh, the passage we read tells us that Jesus came back to, to Capernaum, his, his ministry headquarters at the time, if you please. Uh, and, and rumors spread that he was in the house. And immediately, a crowd gathered in the house, spilling out the door, and there was no more room. Then the text goes on to tell us about a paralytic being carried by four men trying to see Jesus. And that these men could not get close to Jesus because of the crowd. So they found a way to get up to the roof, broke a portion of the roof, 
and then lowered the bed down to Jesus. Now, the text doesn't explicitly tell us much about these five men. We don't know how long the paralytic has been paralyzed. We don't know the profession of these four men, and we don't know how they found the paralytic. Uh, These men, though, did knew and were confident enough to remove some of a roof without worrying about the crowd below. Uh, And and so I surmise that these were probably working men, laborers, blue blue collar, if you please. Uh, And and we know the paralytic was not uh, a laborer, although perhaps he used to be. Uh, We know that he didn't do much other than lie in bed, and we know, therefore, that he must have spent a lot of time thinking, perhaps ruminating over what he could have done to deserve lying around all day without the use of his limbs. We, We don't know if the paralytic called for the four men or if a family member called as they were walking by, or if the men knew Jesus was in town and stopped by to carry their friend. Whether it was always four men or if it started as two uh, and they had to do some recruitment. We do know that if your task is carrying a bed, you probably want to have exactly four strong people to carry that bed. If you have less, the load isn't properly distributed, so it's very awkward and perhaps dangerous. Uh, If you have more, people are literally tripping over each other. And we do know, regardless of how far they carried the paralytic, this was a sweat-causing, muscle-popping activity, like moving a house in the middle of July. And what we also know is that the four men understood the paralytic's need. And instead of running to get a good standing position in the crowd, they ran to help the paralytic, uh, their friend, Believing that Jesus had something for him. (laughs) And and we know these men were communicating with each other on the journey, saying, one, two, three, lift, lift. (laughs) Calling out when they needed to put the bed down when an obstacle came up or when they couldn't hold on any longer and needed a break. (laughs) I'm trying to say that this was not a silent journey. And in a very real sense, we don't really know how much faith the paralytic had in this process, whether he really wanted to go see Jesus or if he was reluctant. I mean, he must have had at least a little faith uh, in Jesus to try this uh, and to be willing to be dropped down from a roof. But in fact, I'm sure he argued every difficult step along the way. Uh, I know I would have. I mean, it was his life on the line if the men dropped him. And, And these men, these four friends had enough faith to believe in their abilities and more importantly, to believe in Jesus. For this is certain. The paralytic through the faith of these four men, was able to reach Jesus. (coughs) To agree to the the four men in their intervention, uh, even without your physical life on the line, is difficult. 
And it takes faith to do such physical tasks. I remember I went to my father-in-law's house for Christmas in Georgia one year. And there was this tree uh, growing between his house uh, and the neighbor's house that he wanted to, to cut down. Uh, and, and I decided I was going to, to help out. Uh, this was even before I was a forestry student. This was a huge tree. And if it fell to the left or if it fell to the right, a house would be destroyed. <laughs> and because of the job I had, if it fell forward and I didn't move in time, I would be destroyed. And I remember I, I was working for uh, a, a gentleman named Cause at the, at the time. And I remember I went into his office one day and we spent a lot of time talking about how to cut down or how to fell a tree. He was an engineer and he said, you know, Troy, no matter how, how perfect you get it, it is impossible um, to know with certainty which way the tree is going to fall. You can try, you can try to direct it, but every once in a while, you do everything right and the tree falls the wrong way. Uh, and so as I was there with my father-in-law, I had this in the back of my mind and I said, I, I wanna help because I don't want that tree to fall to the left or the right. And, and so what did we do? We threw a, a rope over the tree and it was my job to pull forward on the rope to try and coax the tree to fall in the, uh, the right direction. Uh, my father-in-law was working the, the chainsaw, cutting the, the wedge in the right location in the tree to help it fall forward. And admittedly, I was, I was the rope guy and I was not that comfortable with this. Too much uh, could go wrong. I wasn't worried about myself. Uh, the rope actually put me uh, almost out of the felling zone. So I would just need to move a couple of steps. I would be fine. But as I mentioned, uh, if we didn't do this right, a house would be seriously damaged. Um, and I loved my, my in-laws, but I did not want to damage their house or their neighbor's house. And yet, uh, because my father-in-law believed we could do it, uh, and, and I trusted him, uh, I went along with the plan. Uh, and we felled the tree right online and indeed right on time. The four men took greater risks than I did that day because they believed in Jesus. And the paralytic took even bigger risks because he believed in his four friends' determination and ability to get him to the master. Even when he couldn't look all the way up and see the entire journey, he could look and see as far as his friends and trust in that to help move forward. Now, now the Bible tells us that the men came upon the crowd and they could not reach Jesus. Now, let me tell you that those at the outskirts of the crowd could not have missed the paralytic approaching. As I said before, I don't know if you've ever tried to carry anything heavy a long distance, but it is not silent. And if you've ever seen an obstacle up ahead while carrying something, the groans are audible. But, but these men didn't stop there. They didn't give up hope. They didn't come this far to give up now. And so when they realized that this wasn't going to be the Red Sea, that the crowd wasn't moving for them, they came up with another plan. 
Uh, they didn't complain about the crowd, even though perhaps they had a right. They talked it out. They recognized that they had some knowledge in the room and, and they knew how houses in the area were constructed and that there were stairs up to the second floor and they knew if they could get him upstairs, they could lower their disabled friend to Jesus's feet. But who had rope? I wonder if one person had enough or if someone had to run to the docks of Capernaum to get some, some more. And the paralytic somehow agreed to the plan to be carried up uh, up to the second floor, up to the roof, and be lowered in. Uh, and the man agreed to, despite the fact that they would cause a scene, that their neighbors and their friends, even their family, were there listening to Jesus and would see them breaking and entering and maybe not understand. Despite any embarrassment it would cause, or the looks and actions of the scribes who they were disturbing at their own peril. For indeed, this was an act that had risk. They considered, they must have considered all of this and these were reasonable men. So the only reason they climbed this roof is faith. Instead of missing the message, they were earning themselves a front row seat to a miracle. Now let's contrast these men with the, the crowd. The crowd formed to hear Jesus, and it formed very quickly as word spread that he was in town. It formed immediately. Uh, the crowd was most likely filled with different people from different walks of life who heard on the grapevine, as I like to say, that Jesus was in town. And the text tells us specifically that there were scribes, uh, religious leaders present, but the crowd is not all scribes and thus it is varied. Now, now we don't need a degree in crowd dynamics uh, to figure out that the scribes got the best seats in the house. Uh, in fact, we would have expected it. Jesus tells us further on in Mark 12, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. Even the text itself tells us the scribes got the best seats, literally. In a standing room only crowd, the text tells us that the scribes were sitting there reasoning in their hearts. Now, now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying the scribes shouldn't be respected or that, or even that they shouldn't have had front row seats. I'm not saying that. But how did the scribes get those seats? <laughs> the grapevine doesn't work faster for the scribes than it does for everyone else. They were let through the crowd and given the front row seats as they demanded and as was the custom. So, so this was a discerning crowd, a, a crowd choosing who to let in. The crowd let the scribes through. The crowd did not let the paralytic and his friends through. In fact, if the scribes took the paralytic and carried him, they would have walked through the crowd to Jesus. <laughs> but that's another sermon. Jesus was famous for healing and casting out unclean spirits. So perhaps it's surprising that the crowd didn't let the paralytic through. 
The reason perhaps is that crowds form to watch, not to do. And watching is important, of course. Uh, but faith is also about doing. Faith is also about doing. And sometimes if you want to really see Jesus, you need to climb above the crowd like the four men did. They carried the paralytic up to the roof and let him down on ropes before Jesus. The crowd had to notice as it was being done. And Jesus certainly noticed. Now, now catch this. The Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. When Jesus saw their faith. Now, we don't know much about the paralytic's faith, but the Bible didn't say because of the paralytic's faith. It said because of their faith. The faith of four men mattered to the healing of a person with a need. Your, your faith matters for someone else's spiritual walk. It was the four men's faith in Jesus that was most on demonstration, and their faith caused a healing. What does that mean for your faith? What healing is needed in your community through your faith and through your faith manifested in this world through action? Who, who needs your physical strength, your organizational strength, your beauty of spirit, your sense of right? Who needs to take a trip to outreach so that they can see faith in action and so that Jesus can say, because of their faith, your sins are forgiven. Come on, somebody. If Jesus performed a miracle and changed forever at least five people's lives. But something even greater happened. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. The Bible tells us that Jesus perceived in his spirit that the scribes thought this man speaks blasphemies. It's easy in 2021 to look down at the scribes and say, hmm, <laughs> the scribes. Hindsight is 2020, as they say, but let's take a moment and acknowledge that what Jesus said is at least preposterous from a certain vantage point. It would be like you walking into court, standing in front of everyone and saying to the accused, you're not guilty. Go your way. The judge who would be livid. Can we really blame the scribes? And Jesus could have easily said, get up and walk and just perform the miracle. He'd done it before. Instead, he said, your sins are forgiven, perhaps to illuminate for us what we can't easily see, that Jesus has the power to forgive sins. And as much as the paralytic, as much as we need a physical healing, uh, the paralytic, and we also need a spiritual one to be forgiven of sins. Uh, and Jesus could have healed 
his body, but if he touched his soul, did it really matter? The paralytic thinking man could run maybe, but would still be under his sin. When healing his life would be changed, but not completely transformed. But Jesus told us that he has the power to forgive sin. And he did it because he saw their faith. Okay, so doctors can cure leprosy now, but, but, but can't necessarily cure the pain, disassociation, and separation it may cause. And, and Jesus was not just a physician. He is the great Physician, the physician that can ultimately heal what is the most poignant portion of our life and of uh, our brokenness, our sins, our separation from God can be forgiven by Jesus. And indeed, he said in this text that when he saw the faith of the four or five men, when he saw their faith, he, he said, your sins are forgiven. And from this vantage point, what does that mean for our community? Does it mean that when we act in our faith, Jesus can do more than just heal a symptom? He can cure a problem? Maybe one day doctors can cure a disease, but Jesus can forgive and cause healing around the adultery, provide healing from the abuse and forgiveness and restoration to a criminal, to a sinner, a theater judge might be able to suspend a sentence, but Jesus can remove the generational curse and allow the, the hurting person to look beyond their situation. A, a forester can plant a tree, but God can work to ensure it's never cut down. The cable man can cut off the television, but God can fix the, the hurt and the root cause of the addiction the, to pornography or to situations when the world says, that there's a problem it's not a problem Jesus can illuminate uh, the problem and forgive it and transform it indeed Jesus can cure the ravages of poverty and forgive the collective sin that often causes it in the first place beloved there is deliverance for another for, for many others for our community through our faith, not our faith in the crowd coming to see Jesus because our cousins or our, our aunts and uncles said to come on, not in our belief in the importance of scribes and of an acceptable social order, but our faith above the, the crowd. There is healing for others through our faith. There is transformation for another through your faith. In your roll up your sleeves and call a friend faith in our, uh, you've got an issue and we can lie here or we can bring you to Jesus faith. In your speak it loud and carry the load faith. In your we're going to make it to see Jesus faith. In your we have to find a way faith, in your I know how to get through the roof, so let's use my experience and training faith. In your climbing, climbing and hanging and working and dangerous faith. 
in your this is a risk to me, but uh, I'm okay and it doesn't matter because I believe in the ability of the one who is able faith. In your front row seat to a miracle faith. Jesus didn't see fit to only perform a miracle. A man who couldn't move carrying his own bed because other men first carried his bed. But he saw fit to tell the people that he can forgive sin. Their faith, your faith, our faith in action. When we think about Jesus and how we cured the paralytic, how these men saw someone who couldn't walk and brought him to the feet of Jesus. When we think about that miracle, we often focus on the paralytic, the one whose limbs didn't work and we could clearly see that his limbs didn't work. But in this Mental Health Awareness Month, we would be remiss if we didn't think about mental health. And to be clear, I am not an expert in mental health by any means, and I don't claim any expertise. But what I suspect is that mental health challenges are as paralyzing as paralysis. And I suspect if we were to look at the scriptures and especially the gospels anew and consider mental health, we would find that God demonstrated at least as much care, concern, and healing for mental health as he did for physical health. Uh, I encourage you to, to think about the scriptures and to read the gospel with that in mind. And for our text this morning, to ponder the following. What does it mean when we bring someone with mental health challenges to where Jesus is? What might it mean if we replace the physical paralytic with someone struggling with mental health challenges? What does it mean to overcome the crowd that doesn't recognize mental health as someone or something that should be ushered to the feet of Jesus, just as this crowd didn't usher the paralytic to the feet of Jesus? What would it mean if we the ones who needed to carefully lower the paralytic to the feet of Jesus. What might happen when Jesus sees our faith in this space? What does it mean uh, that we have been blessed and privileged uh, for with a pastor, Pastor Paul, uh, that is cognizant and that knows and is willing to share and to preach on these issues? What does it mean for a church community that might see and recognize both physical and mental challenges while also recognizing the power of Jesus Christ? 
And when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? <laughs> and beloved in victory, what does our faith look like beyond our sight? What does it mean to be ready to bring those to the feet of Jesus, even when we cannot see their paralysis? When the mental health challenge is perhaps difficult to see, when the systems and principalities uh, that people uh, operate in and that some people might have difficulty seeing? What does it mean when we might bring the, the need for that forgiveness of sin, for that healing to the feet of Jesus? How might we bring these individuals, these situations to the feet of Jesus? so that he might say that which is most difficult to systems and principalities, to declare your sins are forgiven. But what is easier to say, hey, you individual, get up and walk away, or to say that your sins are forgiven, but that we might know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, that we might know that our Jesus has power on earth to forgive sins, that we might know in the midst of well week that our Jesus has power on earth and that we might bring people and principalities to the feet of Jesus and trust in Jesus to do what Jesus does, that we might bring uh, people and systems and principalities to the feet of Jesus and in the midst of well week, uh, say that we can be reconciled to God and to each other, that we might recognize as God has called us and equipped us to this well week, that indeed our faith, is important to make a difference and that our faith can indeed make a difference for our people in our community. Somebody here today needs to know that their act of faith is instrumental for another and we need to know that our act of faith can make a material difference beyond our conceptions and our imagination. Uh, and, and somebody needs to know that Jesus was sent to transform lives like he did for friend, for indeed we don't call him paralytic anymore because paralytic was in his past and Jesus completely transformed his reality. The Dr. Luke in, 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 his, in his sharing of the scripture said, I'm gonna call it. Jesus said, I'm gonna call you friend. He's been transformed. God gave him a new identity and that same Jesus is here for you and here for us this morning. What does your lift the paralytic on my shoulders all the way to see Jesus' faith look like 
on the ground. There is a deliverance, a transformation, a balm in Gilead for your soul, if you please, this morning through our collective faith. For indeed, perhaps during this well week, the end of well week, it is our time uh, and our season to rise up and to continue to claim our name, victory, and our role, friend, to be reconciled to God and each other. To God be the glory for the great things that he is doing. Indeed, the, the gospel has been preached this morning, and I know we're we're on Zoom and we're on Facebook live stream and you are in your living room or perhaps in your car driving. Uh, maybe you're listening to this Sunday or perhaps it's Tuesday and I want to let you know that if God is speaking to you right now uh, and calling you to the truth that he loves you enough to die for you and that he died for you to say your sins are forgiven and that indeed he has power on earth to forgive sins. And if that is your story, if you feel God calling your heart right now, I encourage you to accept the truth that Jesus Christ died for you and to say simply, God, I know you sent your son to die for me. And I, in acknowledging that, repent of the reasons the separation from you that meant that he had to do it and invite Jesus Christ to dwell in your heart and in your life and to walk with you. If that is your hope, if that is your prayer, I encourage you to in the chat or uh, to, and Victory's website to fill out a connect card and share that with us. Uh, so that we can begin to guide you and uh, participate with you in your journey to growing deeper and deeper in the truth of God's grace and love for you. Victory, I am privileged to be able to share this message with you, and I am excited about uh, walking with you as we walk together and what God is continuing to challenge us with and allow us to live with uh, through Well Week and through the sharing and victory groups and what is going on in the, in the Zoom pulpit on Sunday mornings and the various ways in which we walk together in community. Uh, it's a privilege to be a part of this. Thank you. Go with God and be encouraged. Shalom.